Before we turn to our gospel reading, I just want to give a little preface. This sermon is going to look, look a little different this morning than what you're usually used to. I'm going to be taking on a character within our gospel story and telling the story uh, like I'm in his shoes. Uh, you may remember I did this during our Joseph series uh, in the summer when I took on Judah. So sometimes it's helpful to imagine what a character might have been thinking or feeling in the story. And so this morning I'm going to be staying true to the storyline, but I'm going to be taking some creative liberties, reading in between the lines. So this may feel strange to some of you. We don't typically preach like this on Sunday morning, uh, but it's good to do this occasionally from time to time, especially as we get into Holy Week uh, for us to engage with a passage that uh, feels really familiar to us. So. Uh, I am going to uh, read our passage, pray, and then go up and uh, enter into character. Don't worry, I'm not putting a beard on or different outfits. Uh, I'll just be preaching from up there. So uh, let me read. The Holy Gospel of our Lord according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And when he said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set, G they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. God, this morning, would you give us eyes to see Jesus as the King, the glorious King that he is. Spirit, would you illumine this text for us in that we might be able to find ourselves within your story. Grow us in love and devotion to the one true King. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The scriptures never reveal my name. And honestly, I prefer it that way. I'm just an ordinary man. The only thing that you really need to know is that I'm one of the disciples Jesus sent to retrieve the colt you heard about just this morning. And this morning I wanna share my take on that day. I'm going to fetch the colt and on Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. You see, that day, it forever changed me. Not all at once, but over time. 
For over time, I've come to understand that following Jesus faithfully doesn't just happen in a day. It's a lifelong process that requires allowing our expectations to be informed by the fact that Jesus is king. So let me back up. I need to start from the beginning by helping you understand the feel of Jerusalem on a typical Passover. It's always packed with pilgrims and foreigners. When I was a boy, I had this great game of trying to worm my way through the crowds in the narrow corridors packed with people. My dad, ooh, he'd get so mad when I'd run off. But despite my playfulness as a boy, the city, it always felt holy during Passover. People came to get close to God. Well, let me correct that. Many came for that reason, but not all. Due to the vast crowds, the Roman occupiers bolstered their presence in Jerusalem during Passover. I still remember the sounds of clinking armor and captains barking out orders as soldiers marched in formation around the city. These Romans, they wanted everyone to know that they were in charge, and they always accomplished their goal. As Jews, we hated the Romans. I remember as a boy hearing when the soldiers would walk by, people scoffing under their breaths, <laughs> Gentile pigs. My people, they longed for the Jewish king. Many believed he would come and destroy the Romans to bring back the glory years of Jerusalem. And the leader of my village, synagogue, Shlomo, he tried many times to have me and my friends memorize Zechariah 9.9. This is a passage that foretold of this coming Messiah. It reads, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I was never good at memorizing scripture. In fact, I still struggle with it today. So the day Jesus sent me and the other disciple to obtain the colt in that nearby village, I'm embarrassed to say that Zechariah passage never crossed my mind. Rabbi Shlomo would have shaken his head if he only knew. You know, I'm more of a practical guy. So while I was overjoyed that Jesus had given me a special mission, that whole walk, I was preoccupied with my doubts about what would we do if we didn't find the colt? And if we did find him, what if the owner wouldn't let us take him? I wanted to prove myself competent and faithful, but I didn't want to fail or look foolish. My friend, on the other hand, the other disciple Jesus sent with me, wow, he had so much more faith than I did. As we made our way to the neighboring village, he told me to trust the words of our rabbi Jesus. He remembered the Zechariah prophecy. He knew the importance of a cult. He was so sure that Jesus was the long-awaited king. 
He had so many expectations of what Jesus was going to do once we returned with the colt. He went on and on about what, would, as of what was about to happen. Jesus, he said, was going to march in Jerusalem. He would head straight to the Roman garrison, confront the authorities, and lead the uprising we all wanted and were waiting for in destroying the Romans. My friend was so adamant about his expectations. I, on the other hand, I was a bit more skeptical. You see, faith in what I can't see, faith in what I can't fully understand, that's a bit of a challenge for me. I'm more of a expect nothing and you can never be disappointed kind of disciple, if you know what I mean. At that time, I struggled to expect anything from Jesus. Undoubtedly, I had seen him perform miraculous signs, but I was used to making my own fate. I was still very much in process regarding what I thought about Jesus. I was open to God showing up, but I didn't depend on it. I didn't expect it. So, you can imagine my utter surprise when we found the cult, quite easily, just as Jesus had told us. As we began to untie it, its owner walked up to us and asked, what were we doing? Well, I'd like to scratch this from the record, but I froze. I began stumbling over my words. Uh, well, uh, you see, sir, I didn't know what to say. Who were we to simply walk up, untie this animal, and be on our way? I braced myself for a fight. But luckily, my friend remembered what Jesus had told us. The Lord has need of it, he said. And the colt's owner, he just let us go without any further questions. So simple, yet all that the owner needed to hear. You know, once again, Jesus had provided us with exactly what we needed, and I doubted it. It was then that I began to realize, you know, maybe my expectations of Jesus were too low. Maybe if I didn't understand his, maybe even if I didn't understand his ways, if he requested something of me, I could still expect him to provide the means and the way to its completion. I mean, he had even known I needed someone else to go with me on that day to get the colt. And practically speaking, I'm pretty relieved he thought of every detail that I certainly hadn't. After we brought the colt back to Jesus, something seemed to shift in the air. Like a major event was starting now that the colt had arrived. A royal event. A few of us, we put our cloaks on the back of the small animal because we didn't have a nice saddle to use. But Jesus, he didn't seem to mind. My friend reminded me that the last time cloaks were used like this was when Jehu was proclaimed king at Ramath Gilead in the book of two kings. We then began to make our way into Jerusalem like a procession. Other people began to lay their cloaks in front of the colt as Jesus rode towards them. Still others, they cut down palm branches and waved them on the road like they were celebrating a great triumph or victory. I was honestly shocked that the Romans didn't arrest us right then and there. 
This was clearly a kingly procession in my mind. And to the Romans, there's only one king, Caesar. But I guess it wasn't a procession in the worldly standards, as it comes to worldly standards. I guess that's why they didn't arrest us. This procession was marked by something else, humility. Jesus wasn't riding on a white stallion with a beautiful saddle as one might expect. Rather, he was riding on a simple colt covered in dusty cloaks. There was no welcoming party nearby of powerful Romans or foreign dignitaries. Instead, I remember Jesus was surrounded by simple folk, poor people like me, people with physical deformities, widows, and lots and lots of children. As we got closer to Jerusalem, the volume increased. People began praising Jesus for the mighty works they'd seen over the past month. Some praised him for the healings they'd seen, others for how Jesus had command over nature. I personally praised him for what had just taken place with that cult. This communal praise, it was infectious. We united our voices and cried out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Our king had come, and I really believed it. And for the first time, Jesus seemed to want everyone to know he was king. You see, Jesus was a fit individual. He could have walked into Jerusalem. He was used to walking miles and miles all over Israel. But he rode on a colt to fulfill this prophecy. This is, not, this is actually the only time I remember him not walking somewhere. But it's not just that. Up until this day, Jesus had always told us to keep quiet about his identity about the miracles that we had seen. So this felt like a watershed moment. For the first time, Jesus didn't hold back our dam of praise. He let us unleash the torrent of worship. Even when the Pharisees tried to get him to rebuke us, he still didn't stop us. Instead, he fanned the flames. He responded that if we didn't praise him, the thousands upon thousands of stones all around us would cry out praise. You know, I really wish you could have been there. Kids waving palm fronds on their father's shoulders, people jumping up and down, smiling from ear to ear, a flurry of colorful cloaks. And let's not forget the people shouting out praises at the top of their lungs, uninhibited by any social constraint. Jesus, he'd somehow unlocked all the hopes and longings that had been tucked away in so many for so long. And I must tell you how I remember Jesus on that day, smiling, laughing, running his hands over those that stretched out to touch him. But I also remember his straight back, his straight back posture with a kingly pose, like he was mindful of some pivotal event on the horizon, like he carried more than we knew. Let me tell you, after seeing all this, I was pierced to the heart. This was my king. You know, I've reflected on that day in my mind over and over, 
And I always come back, I always come back to the same revelation. I mentioned it in the beginning, and I'd like to take a few moments to expand on it as I close my time with you this morning. Following Jesus faithfully, this doesn't happen in a day. It's a lifelong process that requires allowing our expectations to be informed by the fact that Jesus is king. Let me explain what I mean by that. So expectations, they undergird our every thought, our every action. And this is especially true as it relates to our understanding of Jesus. Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, this clearly declared his kingship. It was obvious to all of us he was the long-awaited Messiah. He was what we needed, but not necessarily what many of us expected. And the reason for that is that in our hearts, we often think we are the better king. Therefore, we form expectations around our understanding of God's kingship rather than his. My friend that I talked about earlier, he had high expectations of what Jesus would do as king. He believed Jesus would take up an earthly throne and rule. You know, my friend, he assumed he knew what was best for Jesus. That worldly power was the correct avenue for Jesus to obtain exaltation, glory, and successfully bring about the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, I think he was earnest in his belief and desires for Jesus to be glorified. But I've always wondered, did he also expect something for himself as a result? Jesus on a worldly throne would likely give people like him and me access to a life with less suffering, a life marked by status, protection, and material comforts. So in his misplaced kingship, himself on the throne, were his motives mixed? You know, maybe some of you identify with my friend. If so, I ask you, have your own expectations for your own life ever been driven? Oh, let me, let me start over on that. Have the expectations you have for your own life ever been a driving factor in your expectations of God? The things you hope for your own life being projected on your expectations of God. What do you desire that suddenly feels attainable if God had more tangible earthly authority in our political world, in our financial institutions, in our education or healthcare systems? Or are you more like me? You don't really expect Jesus to do anything. You see, it's less painful for me to just avoid expecting him to show up than it is for me to expect something and be disappointed. In my fear that his promises aren't true, I place limitations on him. I find myself time and time again operating like Jesus needs image protection or some insurance policy because you know he might not reveal himself like I describe him or how I think he will act like I say he will. You know, better to not pray boldly than to pray boldly and not hear an answer, right? Better to not proclaim and exalt his authority in public than declare it and look foolish when he doesn't reveal himself in the ways I expect. 
You know, my lack of faith in God's kingdom reveals itself in my desire for control. Have any of you settled for a similar type of kingship due to your own doubts? Have your missed expectations made your faith complacent? Regardless of who you identify with, me or my friend, I've come to realize that most of us live with tight, closed-fisted expectations. We want to occupy the throne and decide what's best, rather than allow our expectations to be informed by the fact that Jesus Christ alone is king. Yet he is gentle with us, beyond all reason, and is inviting each of us to open our fists and relinquish authority back to him. Hear this today. Jesus knows best how to occupy the throne of God. Everything he does is for our good, and every promise he makes he will fulfill. Our challenge is to trust and obey, to let him be the king he is, not the king we've made him to be. Like I said at the beginning, this doesn't happen in a day. It's a lifelong process because Jesus won't pry open our hands. He won't pry open our hearts with a crowbar. Instead, he'll continually, he'll continue to invite us day after day to surrender our expectations, high or low, and embrace him for who he truly is, the one true king. He is the one who rode into Jerusalem, and we are the ones who are simply called to proclaim it. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, help us to receive you as king. The king of our lives, the king of our expectations. May you challenge and shape us in your image. Help us to realize that you are the king who came to sit on the throne this holy week. Amen.